Alcohol and substance abuse is on the rise, especially in the last two years. On this episode, I sit down with Bobby Newman, who is a certified abuse counselor and founder of Newman Interventions. Newman Interventions is a nationwide service that travels throughout the country, helping numerous people overcome the demons of addiction. Bobby Newman even talks to us about his own struggles and how he overcame them to be an interventionist and help others as well. You're going to find his story very inspiring. You're going to find his statistics very alarming. And most of all, you're going to find this episode very informative. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Hello, hello, everyone. It is spring at the time this is being recorded. Time for some new beginnings, new seasons. And I am really, really excited today. I have Bobby Newman with me. Bobby Newman is a professional interventionist. Now, a lot of you have been following the podcast. We've had a couple episodes that talked about why I quit drinking, why I stay sober, and just why I cut back, especially around the pandemic time. And then I had my friend, Rose Hodson. She was talking about cutting back on a lot of things, alcohol included. Uh, Bobby Newman is an expert on the subject and having him on the show has been a long time coming. I'm so excited that he is finally able to join us. So Bobby, if you'd like, give us an introduction to yourself and your background and how you became a full-time interventionist. Okay, great. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, to start, I, I grew up in a very small town in uh, southern Oklahoma and a uh, very uh, moral, religious upbringing. I, I, you know, 650 people and 13 churches in the town, <laughs> in our town. <laughs> so, like um, my town. Huh? I, I grew up in Gray, Tennessee, and it was the same thing. Yeah. Like, well, know? actually, the little town I grew up in is based, the, 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 the movie Footloose is based off of events that happened in my hometown. Oh, that's so, awesome. well, our claim to fame that we have to mention, but a uh, matter of fact, the, the annual festival is coming out there. But uh, yeah, the, those events happened in 1980. There was a ban on dancing. They had, a, you know, they wanted to have a prom, and you know, we know the story from the movie. But um, you know, that was the. But you know, and drugs were, you know, not a thing then. But um, you know, alcohol seemed to be okay. Drinking and that type of thing. So. And, you know, it was definitely a problem, but I, you know, I liked it when I was in high school, very small town. I had like 42 people in my class, but, you know, we, we like love to play football, love to play basketball, uh, you know, then towards, and we ha- had some success in our, in our uh, class of high school. We had success in both sports, uh, winning seasons. And, but then when we got towards the end of, uh, you know, high school, I didn't really have a plan after leaving high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had some ideas when I wasn't sure, but so then I got into smoking marijuana. And then when I, I did go to college to play football, small college there in, in Oklahoma. And, um, and then I got introduced to uh, pharmaceutical amphetamines and I was working out, going, playing, you know, I had, I, anyway, I, I had actually some success there, but I just didn't have the interest of carrying it through as far as I could see myself, um, where I was going to be in four years. So I, I, I dropped out of school and then went into trade school. I did complete trade school and, and uh, went into, I was a metal worker for about 15 years. And, but the drug use got worse. I it was drinking more, smoking marijuana consistently. Then I got into doing more and drug, you know, amphetamines. Um, 
and just it just kept going and i had problems throughout i had you know i had would get arrested have car wrecks and you know just really ridiculous things that would happen but it wasn't enough of a sign to tell me that i needed to change my path in life and then by the time i was 35 i was looking at seven years in the federal penitentiary because i had driven onto an army base where i was working with drugs on me and they got pulled over by the mps and picked up federal charges by then and uh, so that was the the uh catalyst that got me because I got in so much trouble that I kept violating my probation that uh, I, I was smart enough to negotiate seven years and, and hundreds of thousands in fines down to just two weeks and 2,500 without an attorney. But I was stupid enough to continue to violate my probation and because I couldn't stop using by then. I was pretty heavily addicted. And, um, and that's what led me to enter treatment in 2000 and I completed a treatment program and they had a guy that showed up as I was in treatment um, that wanted to start a drug education program. And the things that I learned when I was in treatment, I didn't know before I started using drugs or I didn't pay attention. And so that's, I thought, man, kids need to know. I mean, you could tell them the drugs are scary and you could tell, you know, you can also show them what kinds of drugs are out there. And, but if you tell them how they're going to get addicted, they're more likely to not do the drugs. And so that's how I started the drug education. I helped them start a drug education program. And I was able to, that's how I got into the drug uh, treatment industry because after completing my own program and uh, I went into prevention and then I went into graduate aftercare and, and then community outreach. And then I got into doing, I, I got moved to Hawaii for a while. I went from Oklahoma to got to live in Hawaii for about 10 years to set up a drug education program out there. And then um, as I was out there, I started doing interventions for because they wanted to bring people back to the mainland for treatment. So I would do interventions in Hawaii. And I, so I, I got to where I was, I got a, had a knack for it. And uh, so that's how I got into, uh, I was, I worked for a specific treatment program until 2016. And then I went out on my own, and develop and open my own business uh, in 2016. So that's how I got in. And I've been a, a certified counselor and professional interventionist since, I don't know, I've been doing it for over for 20 years, but um, you know, I became certified with the state of Hawaii and, and, uh, and I actually eventually moved back to Oklahoma. But anyway, that's my story. That's how I yeah. got into the business. So, yeah. and, and that's amazing because you're able to relate to your clients. Uh, yes, and, and people, story. Yeah. you've been through all of the consequences of yes. addiction, and you know. Do you know how you got addicted? Well, you know, it, it, it's it. I can look back, and I've. It's just one thing led to another, and you know, once you pro- start using a, a substance, and it provides that stimulation or that feeling that you're looking for you know, or that thing that would cause you to want to do it again. It's like the first time you try anything, you're not, it's not like, you know, sometimes people want to communicate and say, oh, well, if you do drugs, you're going to die. Well, that's not what happens. You, the kids go out and try the drugs or they see their friends doing it. It looks like they have, they laugh and giggle and have a good time and nothing happens. And then, and then they, so they do it again. Right. And then they do it again. And there's, and uh, unfortunately now they've got drugs like fentanyl that people are dying right off the bat. But um so it is happening, but I just, you know, would go out with my friends. We would 
drink and then we'd have fun and we'd either go fishing or, you know, do silly stuff. And then, oh, let's do it again. And it just becomes, you know, a habit at that point. And that's your solution for having a good time. I remember when I was probably in my early 20s, I remember a bunch of my buddies showing up that I've known since junior high. And they're all carrying beer and bags of weed. And, and I'm thinking, man, I used to hang, I've been hanging out with these guys since we were 12 and 13 years old. And we used to have a great time and no drugs were involved. But now everybody's bringing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like we're still trying to have that good time. And, and, um, and it gets to a point where it's not fun anymore. It's just it's really miserable life. It's a miserable existence. Yes, I could not agree more. I see that a lot in just a lot of the crowds that I run around in or used to run around in. It's everything fun has to involve drinking, has to involve a bar. And I think in my 20s, I would be, you know, eat at a nice restaurant and I would just, I would want to say hydrate so I drink water and somebody would say something about me not drinking. Yeah. Like, aren't you going to drink? Or if I walk into a house party, I just get handed a drink without asking for it. You know, it's funny. And people, I used to, when I was in out in Hawaii, there was a, was around a lot of military people. And on the weekends, you know, I, they would drink beer and I would hang out with them. And, you know, I don't uh, go places that the sole purpose of, of is to drink and get drunk. I just, you know, cause I'm like, I just don't see any point in that. Some people, sometimes there's events that I go to that are people are drinking and I don't have a problem with it, but I don't advise that for people that are at risk, but I don't, I don't, I don't live my life, you know, day to day going, Oh, I hope I don't, hope I don't drink today. Because if I felt that way, I would, I'd, I would know that whatever I've got going on has not been handled. You know, it's not, I have not handled my problem with alcohol. If I still have to worry about every time I be exposed to it, that, I'm going to drink, but, or overindulge or whatever. But, um, you know, it's um, to the point of, I don't, he, you know, my friend asked me one day, he said, do you have a problem? Do you think I have a problem? I said, well, if you put your career and all your friends and everything that matters in your family in one hand and you choose alcohol in another, right. um, Then you've obviously got a problem. The problem is the people cross that line and they can't, see it until it's too late right and i my excuse is always when they ask me that well why aren't you drinking i said well i, I just, i'm having too good of a time I, I you know if i start drinking you won't invite me back <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're like oh okay that just ends it right there i'm like <laughs> so, I, I don't want to get sick and run it for everybody that's a good yeah, yeah or, or you know i used to get a lot of i was pretty rambunctious when i would drink so <laughs> yeah. so a lot of a lot of things happened when I got drunk. Okay. <laughs> Never good. Yeah. There's stories to tell and stories that stay in the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I read a statistic right before the pandemic, I'll never forget it, is that alcoholism and drug addiction are rising to be the number one cost in women. It was stated for a long time that heart disease was the number one killer in women. And the reason I bring up this is most of my listenership, about 90% are women ages 25 to 35. And I, I kind of, I saw this right before the pandemic, but there's not really a lot of conversation, at least not where I'm seeing around the mainstream media, you know, articles and like BuzzFeed or Medium about well, how problematic addiction really is. I mean, you'll see it occasionally, but you only see the extreme aspect of it. Do you think that alcoholism is set to be the number one killer in women or do you think it already is? 
Well, as far as from being a preventable death, it's definitely the number one. You know, as far as it comparing to heart disease and the other issues that are could be, you know, it's really difficult to tell because alcohol obviously causes a lot of health problems. So, but then you have, so the person dies from. So, I mean, there's over before the pandemic. I know the numbers were over a half a million people that were drug or alcohol related deaths, right? And so whether the person dies from, you know, alcoholism causes uh, all kinds of things. It causes, uh, you know, high blood pressure, heart problems, liver problems. So if people are dying, you know, it, it would be really hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. But I do know that it's gone up 25% since the pandemic, for sure. So, you know, it being it's, it's up there and it's, you know, it's definitely the number one cause of preventable death. In, in women and uh you know you have these you know the the, the meetings uh, uh aa meetings and churches being shut down while people then now we've got home delivery of alcohol home delivery of marijuana you know all the things that would cause you to do bad are increasing and all the things that you would get help from are you know they're taking away so it's it's really a it's predictable it's going to get bad you know, it's terrible. It's, it's, and we, we, in the industry, we knew it and it, we were complaining about it. You know, this is the wrong thing to do. This is not shutting these things down is because, you know, obviously COVID is bad, but the truth is, is that it was less likely to get you than a lot of other things, <laughs> you know, it's for percentage wise. So. I think so too. I think if you have an addiction, you have needs that, go beyond preventing and and again I agree COVID is deadly but there's two deadly I mean alcohol could kill you quicker than COVID or vice versa I just I, and I don't know the statistics on that so I, I don't know if I want to go into it but yeah when you're shutting people away from their communities that's creating a mental health pandemic right that's what they talk about, the cure being worse than the, the the disease, you know, the problem. The cure being worse than the problem, and um, definitely was the case here. They didn't consider the greatest good when they made those decisions at all. So, yeah, I, I strongly agree on that. Just okay. even, you know, for me as a, as a professional being and wanting to network with other professionals, you don't going out and you have to do it via zoom meeting. Now you used to go out to events or conferences and you could meet other people and you could get to know them and you could get to, you know, see how you could collaborate and you can't do that anymore. You meet somebody on a zoom meeting and there's no connection. There's no. And so even to that degree, you know, there's no ability to improve society, much less a person who's struggling. There's not a connection there. I mean, it's just not, it can't, it's not as effective. Yeah. And and staying home for a long time, even if you're an introvert like myself, yeah, you stay home and it has something to do with your mental health. And yeah, I talk to people on Zoom. I talk to people around my neighborhood. You know, I can't have to touch with my friends over the phone or whatnot. But when you have to get reacclimated into social situations, it can be like learning to walk again. I remember once when I was working from home and well, this is even before the, all this, and I went to a court, I had to go to help a person with their, some legal problems, and I had to go to court. And it was this social uh, etiquette 
I was had had to go to court. I was in court all day until like two o'clock in the afternoon. hadn't had breakfast or anything. So by the time I got something to eat, I was starving. And I went to this little cafe that was close to downtown where the court courthouse was. And but there was a bank that was right there. Well, a friend of mine owned that bank, and he saw me out there at this cafe eating. <laughs> and my table manners was out because I'd been at home, but you know nobody around. He looks out there and he sees me and he goes. And I, and I laugh at it because, it's, you know, it's funny, but he's, he looks out his window and he sees, he says, man, you were hungry. <laughs> and I, my, t- my table, at my etiquette had gone out the window. And I'm thinking, can you imagine what it would be like for somebody who is struggling, that's not in the right frame of mind? You know, I, I laugh at it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, so, I, but it, it's just, that's compounded but many times over. I just, it's just unfathomable to me that somebody would not keep that in mind when they're, you know, considering this, their, their solutions to handling. And I think I have my own opinions about it being by design, but you know, I don't want to get into all that, but. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I don't blame you because I feel like there are certain issues that get more highlight than others. And because alcohol, I mean, pharmaceuticals, alcohol, and looking to be marijuana are such profitable industries. Exactly. Are we really looking out for the people that are victims of the addiction? Now, some people can put and have a drink and put it down. Some people can take the painkillers after surgery and then put them away. And um, I don't know much about marijuana addiction. I just haven't been around it as much. But I know people that can just go to Colorado and, you know, have a smoke and then come back home and not do it for a while. Well, it's, it's, you know, people have this idea that, you know, oh, he's just smoking marijuana, particularly when it's, uh, well, I thought it was just marijuana, but the truth is, is it's not just marijuana these days. And it does, THC is a psychoactive chemical that has, meaning it has an effect on the brain, you know, it is going to interrupt the neurochemistry of the brain. Uh, you know, for somebody that's in pain and it relieves their pain or, you know, people with seizures, there is medicinal benefit to CBD oil and things like that, but anything that containing THC is, uh, you know, it's it's a chemical that alters the way the brain functions, and so regardless. But so and getting into all that, but so marijuana, you know, people have this idea that oh, it's okay. I've seen more young men, particularly my in my personal experience, that are early twenties, and this just happens to be the demographic, early twenties supposedly all they're doing is marijuana have completely lost their minds. They're like gone beyond the point of no return until most traditional treatment programs cannot help them because they're, they're, they're literally psychotic. I mean, I'm talking about running to, from running out in the streets of LA in traffic, 60 mile an hour traffic, not even knowing, you know, of completely psychotic. All the person's testing for positive for is marijuana. The, the potency is so powerful now and they're pulling it out. Um, you know, they're pulling uh, the THC out of the marijuana plant, making it like it's 97 to hundred percent pure THC. So, and, and they were warning back the DEA was warning us back in the, uh, you know, 15 years ago, if it keeps, if it continues to reach the potency that it's, as it's rising right now, back in 2005, um, you will see people developing psychosis from it well now that was they, they were thinking that it was going to get up to about 30 percent which it is out of the stores 
but now it's like up to around 100 percent with the with the with these uh with these vape pens and with the oils that they're pulling it out you know making it concentrating it so anyway i it's a whole other story, but marijuana addiction is definitely a problem. And, that, and people will tell me, I'll, I'll do classes or I'll talk to young people and I say, you know, they'll say, uh, well, marijuana is not addictive. I say, well, I don't know. I beg to differ because somebody forgot to tell there's over 60% of the people that enter treatment are in, going for marijuana addiction. So somebody forgot to tell them <laughs> that it wasn't supposed to be addictive. <laughs> I get calls all the time. People, how do I stop smoking? You know, I'm, I'm addicted to marijuana. How do I stop? Matter of fact, I got to call a guy today who's trying to figure out how to stop smoking weed. So, um, and try to help him. So it, it's definitely a problem. Yeah. It will probably be a growing problem since I know in Tennessee, we have a couple strands that are legal, the Delta eight and the Delta nine. Again, I'm not very, I'm not super informed on marijuana, but they're a mild THC substance. And then CBD, I've used CBD, just pure CBD mm-hmm. without any THC. This is my soul CBD for concentration. Because uh-huh. I do have a, you know, I was mildly diagnosed or self-diagnosed ADHD is what I'll say. Uh-huh. And, you know, have to make myself focus, especially when it comes to work and being in school and just all that I have on my schedule. Right. But I don't even take that every day, but I also have friends who have the same struggle that we're taking Adderall and Ritalin. And if they're taking Adderall not everybody, not everybody that takes sleep medication or Adderall or or Xanax or anything like that. But I've actually had someone close to me. They had a pill addiction spiral from being on Ritalin as a child. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a, it's a, a stimulant and it's the same, it's the, it has the same effects as cocaine. So no, and I, and I, I do know for, you know, based on studies and evidence that CBD is medicinally beneficial and it does have, you know, if you're getting the using products that contain no THC, I think it's um, I, I definitely be beneficial. So arguing, you know, saying that, oh, it's all bad. And that's not true because there is medicinal benefits to uh, the marijuana plant, but the part that contains the THC. So I, I do want to clarify that. I'm not, and I, and I feel like that versus becoming addicted to, uh, you know, uh, if a person were in pain, marijuana might be better than, than the, the narcotics because you're taking also a, you know, uh, addictive drug, heavily addictive drug, as well as the damage that it does to your liver. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a big problem. So, you know, just being educated about it, being informed and, you know, and, and using it for, you know, from a natural approach as much as you can is, is definitely important, you know, and examining the greatest good, you know, not, not expecting a quick fix. And because, you know, chemicals will produce the desired effect for a short period of time. Right. You know, just like drinking. But that dopamine. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 but it's not it, it being that you're you're taking a chemical and, and affecting a biological organism such as your body. It's not going to continue to have the same effect. Eventually, your body's going to become accustomed to it. There's going to be an adjustment, and also nutrition, and also sleep play a factor in all this. So, uh, you know, all that is a basic fundamental. And we, we, you know, in the treatment industry, we go into getting a person's sleep back in and just basic nutrition back in the basic 
again, foundation to recovery. If we don't have good sleep and good health, you know, nutrition in, we're not counseling is and uh, handling underlying issues is really kind of secondary to that because you need to get the basics back in. So, um, and you know, to go off into that, but there, the reason I say that is because there are toxic effects to drugs, regardless, even though they may be necessary, they're all toxic. So now again, I, I don't know as far as CBD goes, I do want to talk about that for a second because, uh, you know, I don't know the to- necessarily the toxicity of CBD, but I do know the toxicity of THC as well as narcotics, such as Adderall or, or you know, not, well, I mean, pain pills, and then you have the stimulants such as Ritalin, things like that, but they are toxic, so. Yeah, very much that. And anything that kind of alters, and that's kind of where I personally pull away from drinking is because... Yeah, it's fun, or I've had a lot of fun memories from drinking, and you get that dopamine hit, but I'm recovering the next day, and I find that I can live in the moment and be present and get that same dopamine from going on a hike, from, I'm an adrenaline junkie, so I do skydiving, or... Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, just going to a concert, you know, it's funny because, yeah, well, you know, if you, let's say you're struggling with a problem, you're like, you got this problem that, you know, whatever, be a relationship or work or whatever, go skydiving. You'll forget all about that problem for just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that problem would be the least thing going through your mind is be like, no, I'm getting ready to jump out of a plane. So uh, then you get to talk about it for forever because that I've done it before. I, I actually did a static line jump once, but um, you know, that's, you know, your, your point about the way the after effects, uh, my, my analogy for that is anytime you take a drug or alcohol to feel good, to alter your way you're thinking or feeling, it's going to have the exact opposite effect when you come off of it. Right. So it makes you feel good the night before the next day you feel you're not going to come back to normal. You're going to feel worse than you did before because your body has to recuperate. And who knows, hopefully nothing stupid happened when you were intoxicated, uh, you know, where did your car get an argument or have some some stupid thing happen. Um, so that, that you have to then, you know, pay the price for. But um, um yeah, it has the exact opposite effect. Like, so I'll give you an example. Another example: somebody who's addicted to method to, to stimulants, methamphetamine or Adderall or Ritalin. People do get addicted to those. Um, they, when they come off of it, they want to sleep and eat because when they were on it, they wanted to stay up and have energy and not eat. You know, so they weren't sleeping or eating. So when they come off of it, they want to. That's all they want to do is sleep and eat. When somebody goes on opiates, um, they. Uh, they want to that's they want to they can't sleep because they nod off when they're on opiates they when somebody's high on uh you know opiate opiate type drugs they they nod off and will doze off so when they come off of it they can't sleep and they're also in a lot of pain because it's a pain you know so, so it has the exact opposite effect. alcohol people are not, that are addicted to alcohol will have it's supposed to well i have to calm my nerves right well you drink alcohol, you start coming off of the alcohol. What's the first thing you start feeling? You start feeling anxious. You start feeling nervous, right? And then, they, then you go to the doctor. They go, want to give you benzodiazepines, which is an anti-anxiety, which also has the side effect of anxiety. 
and nervousness. <laughs> so, so it's like this rabbit hole that you go down and when you can find natural solutions, such as the thing that you're talking about, uh, I, I like going to the, you know, I, one of the things I like to do is go to the, I, I have a gym that I go to with a class and I'm in there with a lot of other people and we do a pretty intense workout and, you know, I'm not, and there are people of all walks of life and fitness uh, categories uh, some people are super fit. Some people are not so super fit, but the class is designed to, for you to kind of push yourself regardless of where you're at. But when you come through it, you're in there with a group of people and you work hard and you feel good. And everybody's like clapping each other on the back going, yeah, we did that. And it's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's more fun that way. And you're also getting the benefits of the work. So if you're doing things like, I don't know, skydiving or hiking or, you know, going to see, you know, it's, it's, or learning something new, those are all really positive things that are going to, you know, benefit you down the road and not have a negative effect, you know, provided that your shoot opens, you know, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely relate to, to the working out. I take dance classes. I've done everything from hip hop, contemporary. I've done, let's see, ballet. I, I take oh. it all. But that was something that I learned was I get more happiness get more dopamine and endorphins and just more of a sense of purpose coming out of a dance class than I right. ever did leaving a bar. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I mean, going someplace for the sole purpose of just to drink is kind of just a, I'm like, that's the only reason I'm going. I mean, are, are people are going there. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested, you know? I mean, if you're at an event and people, there's social, you know, and people are, you know, it's, you're not, I, I, I couldn't see that, but the, the, the event is it like a fundraiser or something, um, or, you know, has a purpose or a benefit concert or something like that, you know, or, you know, a good, a good band. Like I went to see, I, one of my favorite guitarists is a guy named Joe Bonamassa and I went, got to see him going at, in Colorado at the Red Rocks Amphitheater. And I thought, man, this, the whole cool. thing was great. And it was a great performance. And there was things, shenanigans going on around there that I didn't like, but at the same time I was there to enjoy the music. And so were a lot of other people because it was a great show. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, it, it was, it was really a big, big, a lot of fun for me, but I, I did have to experience things that I didn't necessarily want to. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen Dave Matthews eight times and I took a friend with me. Yeah. I said, just breathe out your nose. <laughs> don't breathe. Don't take deep breaths. Yeah. Yeah. But enjoy the show. Yeah. My wife was, <laughs> uh, my wife was uh, with me and she had not, she's not been to many concerts and, and she goes, well, all that going on, I really didn't like that. And I said, well, to be honest with you, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, being that it was Colorado. And, uh, you know, and I thought it was going to be worse than it was because I've been to other concerts where I've literally had to, you know, they, the, the, the joint would be coming down the, 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 the aisle and I would just take it and kind of just put it in my other hand and then I would just put it in the floor and step on it and people would never know. I didn't make a big, you know, a scene about it. I just would take it and put it in the floor and put it out. I thought I'll do people a favor. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but anyway, uh, it, it was fun. And so to, I don't know, I didn't mean to get off on that type of thing, but. Uh, no, that's relatable though. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it, you know, it, 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 you know, we did have, it was a, a, an awesome event and it was a lot of fun. You know, I've been wanting to see this guy for a long time and his, all the musicians in his band are a collection of people that came from other bands that were from all over the world. And, you know, singing, you know, it was just really an awesome performance. And I had a great time. I would not have not went to see that. In other words, like, Oh, I don't want to go because of all these other things that are going on. Cause that was more important to me than I could ignore those other things just to see what, to have that experience. So uh, anyway, so when you're around, you talk about, you know, we talk about this, the early signs, let's say you're around some of your loved ones, like close friends and family, and we're starting to see some of the signs right. of alcohol dependency, drug dependency. What can people do to either, if they see those signs in themselves or their loved ones, what are some of the steps that they need to take to help those people out? Well, so that's a great question. And, you know, I, you know, I have a presence in my family and my friends of that's because of what I do. I mean, people know everything that I'm about and what I, you know, what we're about and as family and things like that. So I, I kind of, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy, but, um, I'm not, but I'm not a, I'm not a holier than thou type of like unapproachable person. And I would say my advice to somebody would be make it safe for that person to come and talk to you about it. Make it safe for that person. Don't be it, you know, where you're make it where that person would want to talk to you about it. That would see you as a possible person that would help them, but also, you know, identify, let it be known that, Hey, I, I recognize this, right? I, I see that this is a problem. Hey, what's going on here? In other words, don't just act like it doesn't exist. Because who knows, that person, A, you, you know, it, 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 there's a way addicts think is, I, I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, or just out of high school, I went to a Hank Williams Jr. concert. And me and my, my sisters and their husbands and me and a buddy of mine went and me and a buddy of mine stepped in the back and were smoking some weed. And my sisters did not smoke weed. They did not approve of it at all, but they didn't really say anything. In other words, they're like, okay, you know, and, and brother, they didn't, you know, I was separate from them. And, uh, you know, I'm, and again, I'm so in my mind, I don't know, well, they didn't say a whole lot. So, you know, must be okay. <laughs> it definitely wasn't okay. They didn't agree with it, but in my mind, I thought I kind of like thought it was okay. So you want to kind of let people know that, you know, Hey, what, you know, kind of raise an eyebrow, but at the same time, try to make it as best to where they'll feel that um, they can come and, you know, they can, you're approachable. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, the-, the reason a kid won't talk to their parents is because they're so afraid that they're going to get in trouble because of their reaction. So if you make it safe to where your kids will come and talk to you or your family will come and talk to you. So, but the signs are, you know, like, like you're sitting around, like, you know, you, for instance, you, you have, you know, you, you, uh, you're having a great time with all your friends and you're sitting around drinking tea or coffee or whatever. And you're chit chatting. Then somebody has got to pull out a bottle and start slugging it down. Well, why would you have to alter your consciousness to have a great time? You know, now that, you, 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 know. Kind of, you know, so, you know, well, and it's like, like people will tell me about marijuana. Well, marijuana, they give me all these reasons, right? 
And I just have to say, look, dude, I mean, I'm not going to get into the medicinal benefits, but it's, it's a marketing ploy that people want you to think that mar- smoking marijuana is. But I said, if you're smoking anything, you're not, you're, if you're smoking anything, you're not doing it for the health benefits. Yeah. <laughs> you might be, there's other forms of taking it that you could take, use it for a health problem. So, you know, that would be um, uh, my, if it gets to be a problem for people, I would, I would want to make sure that there, there's a, and also to get into, there's a gradient, you know, you, you start out with talking to a person saying, Hey, you know, maybe pull them to the side and just want to mention something. And, and then if that doesn't work, then you maybe talk to a person that's close to them. Right. And mention it to them. Like maybe it's your, maybe it's your cousin and you say, see your cousin and you go, okay. And you pull them to the side. Hey, I noticed that things are kind of just wanted to, however you might approach that. I mean, I, depending on the situation or your relationship with them, and if that doesn't work, you know, or, or if you maybe you don't feel comfortable in saying something to them, find a person that's close to them and say, hey, I noticed that, that uh, Janie was, uh, you know, drinking a little bit heavily. I mean, you notice the problem and kind of mention it. That's a sort of a gradient, kind of putting it out there. Even though you're not saying something directly to the person, you're saying it to somebody in the, in the close circle. And then maybe you could talk about it. And then, but always be working towards the solution. And then if that doesn't work, then you gradually kind of take it at the next level up until you're to the, until you maybe want to set the person down as, as a group and set them down and going, Hey, you know, we need to get a hold of this, you know, and, and, and the signs are from a physical standpoint, you're going to see uh, puffiness in the face. You're going to need to see a, somebody who drinks a lot of alcohol. They're going to, their face is going to be red. It's just kind of a sign of high blood pressure. Uh, usually in, in women, uh, you're going to see a person who's drinking a lot. I had a girl in Colorado and she was a high level executive person, but she had a early thirties, had a huge alcohol problem, very introverted. Um, but she was like, she had a very puffy face and her body was kind of, she had very thin legs. And from a physical standpoint, so she had the look. If you looked at her, you're like, man, that's somebody who I could, me in my experience, that's somebody who abuses alcohol, right? Doesn't get any, hardly any physical exercise. I don't know why, physiologically, I don't know why that occurs, but, you know, somebody who has very thin legs, I mean, a, a relatively thin person, puffy face, um, kind of blotchy skin, um, and a, 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 an alcohol per, from a, from a, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but attitude. A, a person who is an alcoholic will seem very angry. Yeah. And, very, and an angry type person. I can kind of hear it in the way people talk. Uh-huh. Even if they're not drinking in the moment, just from dating an alcoholic, I, I saw a gambling addict, an alcoholic, come into one of my clients. Mm-hmm. And the way they were kind of stumbling around, they were talking about their spending problems and their money problems. And I just knew that that guy had a slew of problems that he was, a slew of battles that he was facing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of these other things too. In, in it, and it's funny because people have these other issues that are, they have going on in their life and they, and I, I'm always looking for a substance abuse issue too. I'm like, we're, you know, I, I can't get along with my wife. She's always complaining about me and my, you know, and, 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 or vice versa. And well, what's going on? Tell me. And, and, and inevitably you're going to get down to 
some of these things. What are you doing? What are you doing or not doing that's causing this? I mean, I had to, uh, you know, handle it when I, I was doing some counseling with a, a guy that had been, had some problems at work, lost his job. And he was trying to tell his wife that, well, I was doing an outpatient program and we were gonna, he was going to come in a couple of times a week. And, and I said, you know, there's a volunteer program. I'd received a grant so I could help him out. It wasn't costing me anything. So I, I just kind of, you know, had to tell him, I'm, we're going to be doing some drug testing. And, uh, you know, he, um, he tried to tell me, well, it was, he lost his job because of his boss, because of this, because of that. I'm like, so we get down, peel it all back and come to find out he had been drinking <laughs> on the job, you know, and then, you know, he was lying to his wife. And I said, you know, here's a couple of things. I said, you know, I'm down up here on my weekends volunteering to help you. And I'm more than happy to do so, but requirement is you're going to be honest with me. And then they, you know, and his wife got mad at him. She left. And I said, look, you know, and then guess who else is up here on her weekend <laughs> trying to help you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to be honest with her. So we're going to bring her back in here. There's always an underlying thing that the person's doing. Uh, like I would say nearly a hundred percent of the time that when they have all these other problems that you mentioned, that it's going to, we're going to scale it back to substance abuse. And I, as an interventionist, I go into, um, you know, I'll, I'll um, you know, t- talk to the family. They'll say, well, he's had a therapist for, uh, he's had a therapist for five years, a great therapist. He loves the guy. It was great sessions. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. What do you mean? I said, I said well, if he were worth, if, if he was doing any good, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I don't know that he's honest with him. I don't know that he tells him about his substance abuse. And I said, well, if I were his therapist and I was working with him, I'd know <laughs> I'd be getting to the bottom of it real quick. What's go- what's causing this pro- these problems? Where are we at on? And I would know real quickly, probably within the first session or two, whether he's telling me or not, I'm going to, I'm going to find out. And um, so anyway, yeah, I, going on about it, I want to revisit what you said about making it safe for someone to talk to you about it. Because nobody wants to talk about their struggles. And we've all been there. We've all been vulnerable before. And it was thrown back in our face at some point or another. And that's a huge fear with anyone. Yeah. And sometimes I think that me not wanting to engage in heavy drinking or anything beyond that makes, it might make other people feel uncomfortable. And that's not my intention. Well, you know, yeah, no, I, I can't imagine that it would be. And the truth is, if they're uncomfortable about it, it's because of it's because of them. It's not because of you. Yeah. They, they know, you know, uh, like if I go in there trying to, you know, I'm going to, grandma bakes, bakes a bunch of cookies and I just want to have a couple of them. And I'm eating in there eating a half a dozen of them or so. And there's only like a dozen anyway, I'm, I'm going to feel bad. About there. <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying? Cause I know I'm not, I shouldn't be doing this for my own reasons. And probably other people want to have some too, but um, you know, you, you look at when you know, you're not doing the right thing, you know, that you, that's an indication that maybe I shouldn't be doing this, you know? So and so it's because of their own uh, transgressions that they feel that way. Yeah. But setting a, there's setting a good example. The one thing that you can do always is set a good example. You know, set so, for for your for yourself. I mean, uh, for other people. Yeah. 
We went to a networking event or a company event that has an open bar and ordering a LaCroix with a lum that looks like a cocktail may not be setting a good example if I'm doing that to kind of blend in. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never really thought about that, but I don't, if I want, maybe I just want to drink one to, because I like drinking them. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, I think a person should be able to go and do what they want to do and regardless of what, you know, I mean, obviously outside of drinking, but you know, I, I would, um, I've never really thought about that. That's a, that's a good point. I, I, I don't drink. Like if I, if I had it now, I don't know that I would advise this for p- other people, but I've had like O'Doul's, non-alcoholic beer, which does have a little bit of alcohol in it, but it's not enough to really do anything. But I, I, the only time I drink one is when they're really, really cold. But in my opinion, those are better for you than drinking a soda pop because I don't drink, I don't drink Coke. I don't drink, you know, I don't drink anything, you know, oh, any yeah. Type of, but yeah, I don't, I don't drink it. So oh, I would rather drink yeah. something like that than, or water. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, Anyway, I've never really thought about that, but I can see your point. Yeah. Soda, I mean, Diet Coke, and and I still like a Diet Coke every now and then, but I learned it is so bad for you, even if it's calorie-free. And the cutting back on that has been just an intention of mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. Even coffee. I I try not to have more than one cup a day, sometimes two cups if I want to treat myself. I definitely – haven't even considered that <laughs> <laughs> it's a mild stimulant though i mean and it I, is. yeah wake up yeah yeah i i have no i do notice the difference though when i drink i feel like too much coffee i mean i could you know it's obviously you know make you dehydrate you i have to really concentrate on the water so there's definitely negative effects to it and i do pay attention to how much i drink so um but i don't know i cutting back is <laughs> on my battle plan at the moment. <laughs> yeah. so. Bobby, let us know where we can find you and work with you. Um, my, well, my website is uh, newmaninterventions.com. That's N-E-W-M-A-N interventions with an S.com. You can also call 866-989-4499 to reach me. So my website again is newmaninterventions.com and you can also call 866-989-4499. Now, if you call my hotline, I have a different number on my website because there's some tracking codes and things like that on there. So, but any, any one of those numbers will reach me. You'll probably get one of my uh, associates that answers my phone, but just say, Hey, I heard your name on a podcast on, on your, on your podcast. And then um, I want to talk to Bobby and they'll give you, my, my, which I can give you my email address as well. I'll just give it to you now. It's Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, N as in Newman, at NewmanInterventions.com. They can always email me that way as well. So Wonderful. And what parting advice do you have for the listeners? Um, I would say, like, you know, the things that we've talked about on this show today are the important things in life. You know, keep your eye on the ball. A, a, a person who's in business and trying to succeed and has goals and they are, you know, a business person, an entrepreneur has the work ethic, you know, surround yourself with positive people. If you find yourself around a bunch of people that are drinking all the time, 
then guess what? You know, it's a, it's a, you're, you're maybe realign your purpose, you know, and uh, I would, I would say if, if alcohol drinking excessively is going to have a negative effect. It's not going to get you where you want to be. It's not part, it's not a formula for success. It's just not in the equation. Now, whether you do it or not, even, or uh, indulging in substances, whether you do it or not, that's your decision. But if you look at the things that brought you success, you're not going to find those things on there. <laughs> yeah. So a lot, do the things that are successful, right? Keep your purpose driven and uh, find other things to do that are, you know, um, going to be more fulfilling, you know, keep your health, be healthy eat well, get enough sleep, uh, you know. I mean, there's just a whole host of things there that align with a successful entrepreneur, what they do. And, and, and again, drinking alcohol or partaking in other substances is, you know, never in that equation. So if you could cross the line of, like I mentioned earlier, is putting alcohol or substances in one hand and all the things in that matter in your life, your health, your family, your job, your purpose, and the other, and you choose the substances, you somehow can justify, oh, it's okay, then that's where you're entering into the danger zone at that point. So definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for all the information that you gave us. It's very valuable. And I know it's going to be beneficial for a lot of us listening, just knowing the statistics, even if we're not heavy drinkers or drug users, it's very helpful to know that. And, you know, possibly we'll encounter people who will need your help and will need just to know how to make better decisions with their life. And you've been I, with that. Yes, we have. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say having been on the other side of things, you know, for a long time, for 20 years, and I stepped through a portal and now I've had been fortunate enough to live another life. It's been over 21 years uh, being sober and being, having a family and, you know, my, the richest moments, I mean, I'm sitting down, I've been gone for a week doing interventions. And this morning, my son's getting ready for school. He's 11. I have a 30 year old son, but also I have 11 year old and my wife's getting ready for work. I'm sitting there at the table. I'm talking to him, drinking coffee. And my son's telling me all about this and that. Those are the, Fine moments in life, you know, they, you just cannot replace them. And those, I, I, I love that. I love it so much that there's no way I would do anything that would jeopardize that. So don't devalue those moments in life because those are the moments that count. 100%. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self-worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual, and going after your unique purpose here on this earth. Every week, Ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges, naysayers, and leaving outside their comfort zone. Or you're going to hear straight from Ella, where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has. This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone 
sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode.